Better get that off before it stains. It might even leave a scar or nine. A gracious good day to you all, friends, and welcome into this the 136th edition of Fusebox, appetizingly entitled "The Slime of Time." More about that in a few moments, but in the meantime, I'm your wondering who cleans the glass ceiling host. Mark Rose and joining me at the helm of this uh, barnacle-encrusted garbage scow of a show is the Admiral of Amplitude himself, Milt Keynes. Everybody. Wow! For a minute there, I thought we were headed for a sandbar. <laughs> <laughs> no, that comes after the show. <laughs> <laughs> Good, because I'm getting mighty thirsty over here. Getting? Well, maybe you should have that checked. Shouldn't that just be a perpetual state by now? Nah, no fun in that, bro. <laughs> I mean, you know, you, you gotta have the lows to know what the highs feel like, right? Very zen of you, Mr. Keynes. You are indeed correct, sir. So, um, are you gonna mention it? Huh? Come on, man. I mean, it really is a milestone for you. Oh, well, uh, yeah. Yeah, I suppose it is. But, uh, you know what? I'm, I'm just halfway regretting it. <laughs> it's not because of... Well, well, friends, what Mr. Keynes is alluding to here is indeed is indeed a, a rather big milestone in terms of uh, a program series and, and all that. And, and, uh, and not this, this humble one that we are uh, currently in, dear friends. Well, it's kind of the reason we're here, right? Well, yeah, yeah. So, so here's the deal. And, and don't get me wrong. The series I'm referring to, in a sort of vague fashion, <laughs> has nothing to do with my uh, reluctance to announce uh, its anniversary. No, n- not at all. It's... Uh, it's, it's really just because of the slime of time! Yeah, it's just all that time has gone by. I get it, I get it. But it was a thing, man. Yeah, yes it was. There's no, there's no doubt about that, uh, Mr. Keynes. Uh, so we speak of a radio series that uh, my buddy Gerald McQuinn and I produced... Uh, the very first series we had ever uh, done and uh, later syndicated, as it happens, uh, back for public radio in, um, <laughs> here it comes, 1980, friends. <gasps> that's right, that's right. It was called Dry Smoke and Whispers Radio Theater. You know, I hadn't edited a piece of tape in my entire life until that show. Now, I'd played around with the uh, reel-to-reels forever. I, I was and, and still continue uh, to be a, a musician, but never really edited tape uh, in a manner to properly tell a cohesive story. Now, this was uh, back when you were in Florida, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was back in uh, St. Petersburg, specifically. Um, 
So back in, uh, I think it was October of 1979, Gerald and I had, had read uh, in the newspaper there that a brand new community radio station was uh, hatching in Tampa uh, with the call letters WMNF by name. Still there. Still going strong, by the way. Um, at that time, it had been on the air for about a month when we uh, read about it in the newspaper. And uh, only had a daylight license at that time, meaning it, it, uh, it was only able to broadcast on a uh, dawn till dusk type of schedule. And it was uh, struggling precariously to get that 24-hour pass. But, uh, you know, we thought... Wow, cheapers, a real radio station. Maybe they'll play our crap. So Gerald and I had been working on a concept. Uh, we didn't know what for, but... It had uh, sprung from a suite of music I was writing at the time for 12-string guitar and a big band. Now, these musical pieces all had a very um, thematic intention, it seemed. They kind of tilted towards the swing era, you know, to a degree. And then uh, there were these uh, oddball characters involved in the music. Uh, a guy named Marcory Deedwick, who is this uber-criminal mastermind, always plotting to take over the galaxy in some nefarious yet uh, somehow brilliant way. Or this little chap named Trickles, Deedwick's unwilling accomplice, who uh, on one fateful day uh, befriends a jewel-stealing little flying demon creature <laughs> called the Jacta. Anyway, the, the main character of all this was this telepathic special detective named Emile Song, living on a planet known as Quaymet. And that was in another dimension entirely and looked like a, a combination of Casablanca crossed with uh, Fritz Lang's Metropolis and maybe just a little pinch of uh, Blade Runner thrown in uh, for good measure. Now, it, it had, uh, by design, a huge 1930s aesthetic throughout the whole thing. You say looked. Was this a, a comic or what? Uh, we didn't really know what it was going to be, but uh, we had done drawings of all the primary characters. And uh, even at one point there, created some uh, three-dimensional models. And I mean real ones, made from uh, wood and plastic and stuff like that. The models of ships and cars and guns. And, and I, I'm not talking about computer models, friends. The, the, that tech wasn't around yet, or at least not accessible to folks like us. Oh, sounds like you guys are building a franchise to me. Well, that, that was kind of the plan. But, you know, first, we had to get the thing started somehow. And since uh, I was a musician and had some rather modest recording gear, uh, audio seemed to be just the most uh, accessible and best shot for us. So uh, I tinkered around for a bit and uh, came up with this scene in a bar. Uh, the bar was called Slazer's Cafe, and uh, <laughs> I guess I just had one of those uh, Robert Altman moments of inspiration there, because the idea was the whole scene was nothing more than overhearing certain discussions that were going on from table to table as the microphone drifted by each one, right? So 
you'd hear about the, the secret gun deal. Another chap was talking about the last uh, drug raid he was busted. Another thug was talking about the sleazy goings-on with some city official getting busted for trying to have sex with fruit in some cheap hotel room. I, I think the whole thing probably ran two minutes. Oh, wait. So, did, did you... <laughs> That's right, sir. <laughs> that was our demo that we then hand-carried into the program director's office and gleefully played for him. That was it. No story, no primary character details, no scripts, uh, really nothing. Now, we did bring uh, uh, some drawings and, uh, and, and some pretty cool ones, I, I will say, at the time there. Yeah, that's when he said, I'm calling security. Well, he could have said that. He would have been well in his rights to do so. He did not, though. What uh, PD Rob Lorai said was, Guys, I can't promise much right now, but I can tell you this. If we're on the air, you'll be on the air. Oh, right, because they weren't even 24 hours yet. <laughs> yeah, right, and... and uh, and really didn't know that they could even make this this uh, station thing go at all. Remember, this was the Reagan years, all right? <laughs> they weren't too fond of this whole public broadcasting community radio thing, <laughs> you know? As a matter of fact, they were trying to defund it every step of the way. Holy carp. Yeah. So we were both uh, excited and terrified as hell, as you can imagine, because we, we had kind of painted ourselves onto a, a, into a, a really interesting corner, so, again, you got to realize that neither Gerald or I had ever done anything like this before. No broadcast experience at all, other than uh, a rabid love and uh, respect for the medium that uh, holds to this day. So, we had to devise a way to put this show together. Now, back in those days, I didn't have access to uh, any kind of a multi-track tape machine, one that would allow you to add multiple audio tracks at the same time, usually, you know, four or more, depending upon the device. Or budget. Hell, man, even those early half-inch eight-track machines were several grand at the oh time. Oh, my God, yeah, I know. And, and uh, by the way, mine, is, it's, it's in the garage. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but we didn't have that at that, uh, at that particular time. We, we had, at that point, two... Pioneer 707 quarter-inch reel-to-reel machines and a, a Tascam cassette machine, if I recall correctly. <laughs> what I also had, though, was a fair amount of, like, guitar pedals and an echoplex and weird noise-making stuff like that. And that was really the gateway to the uh, early uh, soundscapes of the show. Gerald wrote uh, the audio plays... And uh, then we collaborated on storylines and character development and uh, so forth to uh, flesh the thing out. So uh, is that where the illicit drug use started? <laughs> Probably should have. But you know what? There wasn't time or money uh, for that type of recreation. As a matter of fact, it was about, oh, I don't know, uh, a month after we had met with Rob Lorai, the uh, program director over at WMNF, that he called. Oh, that's right. We had to use phones back then. That's right. No Insta-chatogram book face back then, friends. Had to pick up the landline and call. 
or heaven forfend, send a letter. So, Rob calls me and says that uh, they got their certification. And now they can broadcast officially 24 hours a day, as well as getting approved for the now 70,000-watt juggernaut of a transmitter, (laughs) which... uh, Uh, would definitely help in their coverage. They eventually went to uh, 100,000 watts, of course, but uh, at this point, that was a a major milestone for them. So he says they'd love to begin airing the series in January on a weekly basis. And this was November. Holy carp. Yeah. So uh, needless to say... Uh, This was one hell of a learning curve. First off, as I said, I wasn't even sure how to edit tape appropriately back then. And this show had multiple scenes, ambient effects locations, special audio effects, all of which had to be created. That's right. We didn't use sound effects discs at all. This was uh, the little hell dimension I put in place for myself. I wanted this place to sound completely alien and specific to its world. Oh, 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 oh. and of course, we had to have an original score. (laughs) So, uh, how soon after you got out of the psych ward? uh... (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that that could have happened uh, as well. Some said it it probably did, but as this was a huge undertaking for two people. But, you know, looking back now... You mean 40 years ago, right? (laughs) Four, zero. The slime of time! Yes. (laughs) Seriously, looking back, it really was the best intensive on-the-job training I could have possibly had, I mean... Uh, the skills I learned then, I, I'm, I'm still using them today in, in the work I do. So I take it you did get the thing launched. Well, yeah, yeah, we did. And uh, we got the, uh, the first show done. And uh, it ended up uh, running an hour. So w- we made a two-part show uh, of that thing in half-hour segments. And uh, <laughs> I remember one day uh, prior to the airing of this thing, I called Rob. Uh, the PD, and uh, asked if there was any way that I could do a test of the show before it actually airs so I could hear... Oh, I know. You wanted to check the broadcast process. Yeah, I needed to know if what I had done was airworthy, you know? I mean, I'd spent literally weeks and weeks developing this thing and had no way of knowing if it was going to be playable on the air at all. You know, would there be too much noise? There isn't going to be enough level? There'd be too much level? or what? I, All of that. So, being the super being that uh, Rob is, he said, I tell you what, why don't you bring by a short segment and I'll put it up later tonight, like, like after midnight, so you can check it. And that was most instructive. Uh, learned a lot. Learned, learned a lot. No, no, it wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But I could work with it. And I could make uh, mental notes for the following shows. 
That, of course, would never happen today. I swear it could barely happen then, Mr. Keynes. I mean, right before he played that preview segment at the one o'clock in the morning, whatever it was, he said it was on an open mic and it was being broadcast to the sleep deprived that had discovered the station already, right? He says, okay, uh, this next bit is a test for a couple of guys in St. Petersburg and then spun the two minute segment. <laughs> that is so goddamn cool, man. Seriously, it, you know, it's really what keeps the community radio station thing vital, even now. I mean, I, I worked in them, pretty much how I got started in this biz. Oh, yeah, they are, and uh, certainly were for us. It's just an, just an amazing experience. All of that to say that uh, on uh, January 18th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time... WMNF presented Dry Smoke and Whispers Radio Theater, part one of The Riddle. And uh, that went for how long? Well, we produced, um, we produced it up until about 1985, took a few breaks here and there, but uh, we were doing... Uh, actually, uh, a second series around uh, 1983 is a sort of uh, season replacement for uh, Dry Smoke called uh, Anomaly Calling, which was uh, an anthology series. It had short stories in each uh, half hour that were offbeat and, of course, odd. But uh, we syndicated both shows for several years, actually. Now, uh, Dry Smoke is available on uh, audible.com, for those of you who might be curious, as well as uh, even from us at uh, drysmoke.com in a more uh, old-school fashion uh, on CDs, as it turns out. On what? CDs? What are those? <laughs> well, <laughs> pretty much. I mean, I see the stray order every once in a while. You know, it comes through, but uh, it's getting harder and harder to find those uh, production materials like, you know, multi-disc cases or uh, ink for the disc publisher. <laughs> God only knows how long that'll last. So it's a bit of a money suck there, to be honest with you. Uh, but people do remember the show and uh, contact us uh, periodically about it. The thing is, if you were a fan of uh, radio drama back in those days, and, and I'm... Uh, and I'm not talking about old-time stuff. I'm talking about CBS Mystery Theater or Nightfall or those kinds of things. There were not nearly as many producers of content uh, in the United States as there, as there are today. I mean, <laughs> there were maybe a dozen of us in the U.S. producing and uh, distributing this type of stuff actually on the radio. So uh, we, we were fortunate enough to get uh, grants to assist in the production and uh, distribution, one of them through uh, the National Endowment of the Arts back in 1983, which is amazing. As I say, it was the Reagan years. So that added a little cred and some much-needed dollars to uh, assist in this thing. Well, happy anniversary, man. I mean, that is a thing. Well, thanks. And uh, as you say, we most likely would not be yapping our fool heads off right now on this show without that uh, prior experience. At least I wouldn't. <laughs> well, it'd be kind of weird as hell, me sitting here talking to an empty voice booth. 
Well, though, you have, uh, you have done that. Though. Well, no, I, I have done that, haven't I? The show for everybody, but not everybody will like it. TheFuseBoxShow.com From PR News in Washington, I'm playing with matches. NASA is still trying to find a way to repair a torn suicide bomber. NASA has Mylar, and it might be sewn shut. Discovery Commander Pam Melroy says... So... And, uh, on Wall Street, 689. Federal Reserve policymakers are warning residents to keep an eye on PR's PR. But some warn that the Fed runs the risk of worse PR news in the fourth quarter. They say it could pick up strength in central Russia. Russian authorities have recently warned Russians of the potential for increased PR news. We are back, and uh, right there, right there, the always upright and never slimy. Fernandinende Lemur doing what he does best, and that is uh, make a beautiful da-da mess out of NPR. Oh, and uh, speaking of uh, out-of-mind experiences, you remember those uh, glorious days of the midnight movies? Do I? Man, we cut hundreds of promos back in the day for a movie theater chain, and uh, they had just discovered that if you mix late-night bad films... With stoners, well, you could make a buck. Exactly. Yeah, right. Drop some mescaline and go see El Topo. <laughs> <laughs> or or one of my faves at the time, Mad Dogs and Englishmen, the uh, Joe Cocker documentary. Hell, Plan 9 or uh, Eraserhead was usually on the bill somewhere. Yeah, and uh, the, the, the most well-known was probably Rocky Horror. But, you know, there were dozens. Pink Flamingos... Evil Dead, you know, the list goes on and on, depending on the decade. Well, friends, <laughs> it looks like we may have another candidate for this phenomena. Nah, nah. Cats. Oh, my God. Yes, Mr. Keynes, you are correct. Are you shitting me? I'm, I'm sorry, man. I was just being sarcastic. <laughs> no, no, no. The, uh, the, the new film production of Cats is uh, undergoing what only could be termed pre-midnight movie mutation as we speak. Uh, it appears that folks are doing edibles, or maybe even have a toke or two or nine before they uh, head into this. What, at least what I'm told is a, a calamity of a film, but I can't say. I haven't really seen it. Well, have a three dozen of those pink Tinkerbells you like and go for it. Green Fairy. Green fairy. Whatever. So, the deal is, uh, folks get prepared and uh, then venture into the film. Here's the deal, though. We have actual written reactions from folks after having seen the film <laughs> in that altered state of consciousness, courtesy of the brave souls at the Washington Post, and they did some exhaustive research to get this information. <laughs> they should probably get a Pulitzer just for seeing the damn movie. <laughs> you may be right there. Uh, so, here are a few comments post-feline film immersion. Uh, this person said, The most terrifying experience of my life. I swear to God, my soul escaped me. <laughs> <laughs> Another, cried both times, planning on going two more times. 
Oh, you like this one. Vomited four times, but ultimately understood the film on a deep level. <laughs> and then, this one. Had a panic attack in the middle of it. Right after Taylor Swift sang McCavity. <laughs> one more. When Judy Dench turned and looked me directly in the eyes to let me know that a cat is not a dog... I was terrified. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. And uh, according to Annalise Nielsen, who owns a uh, cannabis brand in Los Angeles, she said she uh, used a strain of weed calibrated for relaxation, but found herself unable to relax in a dark theater illuminated by the ghastly cat face of Corden. She says, I'm 36, and announced, I'm scared to my fellow moviegoers at least seven times, says Nielsen, who called the film a special kind of evil. Oh, buddy, that has got <laughs> to be a hell of a sales pitch for this thing. Well, I agree. You know, now, now even if you hate this film, you'll go see it in an altered state of consciousness for sure. Yeah, that human cat thing's a little kinky, though, you know? I mean, brings a whole new meaning to cat scratch fever. Ooh. Hmm. Yes, and but also, on that note, we'll call it a show and take our freeze-dried time slime and slither back into the grandfather clock. But not before thanking our contributors to this memory-soaked audio nightmare, Fernanda Nendelimer and Zoe Nelson, and also a happy anniversary to Gerald McQuen as well for uh, blazing a trail with me on those uh, fateful days back then in the uh, antediluvian past. It was truly a thing. Thanks, as always, to the uh, Doctor of Decibels, Milt Keynes, for technical assistance. A pleasure as always. Of course, uh, where would any of this be without you, friends, for risking life and limb by pushing play on this edition of the show? We so appreciate you coming along with us uh, on this journey and urge you to like and subscribe if you have not otherwise done so wherever you found this program be it Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or the very Unsug themselves. I hear we're also lurking on iHeartRadio now, so uh, there's that. Soon to be on Spotify, I am told as well, so uh, there's really no use in resisting. We have you surrounded. Thanks for uh, taking a slight rewind journey with us uh, this time out, friends. I have been your making mud pies out of the sands of time host, Mark Rose, saying, until our next cartoon. Phew.